Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Sally A. from South Jersey and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, January 19, 2016. Today we are reading from the AA Big Book and we will begin reading the last paragraph on page 23 beginning with the tragic truth is that if the man... We'll read two paragraphs and share on the second one. Today's readers are, for the 12 Steps, Anita L., 12 Traditions, Nancy T., and our readers of the text will be Martha Z. and Deb W., the reference number for Monday, January 18, 2016, is 8390, the OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Anita L. to read the 12 steps. Anita? Good morning, everybody. This is Anita L. from Philadelphia. The 12 Steps. One, we admitted we were perilous over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters 
and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Anita. I will now ask Nancy T. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning. Can you hear me? I sure can. Go ahead. Great. Good morning, Sally. Thank you for your service. Thanks, everyone, for being here. This is Nancy T. from Vermont, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Here are our 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Nancy T. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topics. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. 
Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we will resume our study of the AA Big Book on page 23, beginning with the last paragraph on the page where it says, the tragic truth is that if the man will be reading two paragraphs ending with without defense against the first drink, the first paragraph is for context only and we'll be having our comments focused on the second paragraph. I will now ask Martha Z to begin reading. Good morning, Sally. Can you hear me? I can. If you can raise that volume a little bit, that would probably be helpful. Okay. Thank you. The tragic truth, this is Martha Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from near Philadelphia. The tragic truth is that if the man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive. He has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. The fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable, at certain times, to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. And good morning, my friends in recovery. Um, this is this. So we're sharing on the second paragraph, and it's in italics, so that means it's very important. So I also have a P at the side of this paragraph, which means warning. This is a warning that we've lost the power of choice. So I'm going to. Um, I want to. I want to. Start talking about losing the power of choice first. Um, a lot of times, people say, "Oh, this is this is my drug of choice." And in my mind, food is a drug of no choice for me. Um, a choice means that we can take it or leave it. That we we can choose to eat these things or or we can choose not to eat them. In my case, I did not have a choice once the substance got into my body. That was it. I had no choice. I had to have it. So um, anyway, so you know, and which means if I can't take it or leave it, that I am powerless. I'm powerless not only because of the allergy of my body. Once I eat it, I I'm compelled because of the phenomenon of craving to eat more and more and more, and because of the obsession of the mind, which means that I have to have it. I am I'm compelled. I'm obsessed. And then it says, then it says, our willpower becomes non-existent. And I had, I had lots of willpower, lots of discipline in other areas, but when it came to this, I, I didn't have a prayer. Um, with food, I couldn't do what I wanted to do, and I couldn't stop doing what I didn't want to do. Then it says, we can't bring into our consciousness the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. And I always laughed when I read that. I'd think, geez, the, the night before I couldn't even remember. And um, one of our beloved members always says that, that her pain has no memory. And I, I could not remember. Well, actually, I could tell you what was going to happen. And I, I almost didn't, well, 
I had to have it so much. I, I, I knew what was going to happen, but I just had to have it so much it didn't matter. And um, it says, we are without defense against the first bite, which means that no human power could have helped. So I'm so grateful for um, recovery and for the solution because we're going to find out pretty soon what our defense is going to be. So anyway, thank you so much for letting me give service and have a wonderful day. Thank you, Martha Z. Who else would like to share Chris, on this this second paragraph? Chris, Chris, Chris yeah. Is that Chrissy M? Carol G? Yeah. Chrissy yeah. Alina S. I got you, Chrissy. Carol G. Who is the next person? Larry. Tina S. Tina, I got you. Larry, I got you after that. Tina, Larry. Who's next? Kim G. Hi, Kim. Good morning. Is Vasa there anyone o. after Kim? Vasa O. Okay, Vasa. Vasa O. Okay, so we have Chris. Forgive me if I'm saying that wrong. Chris, then Carol G, then Tina, then Larry, then Kim, then Vasa O. We'll take those first. Go ahead, Chris. And Carol G, okay. you're up next. Hi, Sally. It's Chrissy M. Chrissy, I'm um, sorry, Chrissy. Thank that's you. That's all right. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater and anorexic from New Jersey. And I had to I had to just speak on this. I just you know, I've been dealing with um different different defects that I can't remember with sufficient force the humiliation of five minutes ago. And that's, that's really the truth. And, you know, it, it, the putting down the food and, and working on that is the, by the beginning. It's, it's by the beginning. And I'm, that used to feel like drudgery and, and scary to me, but I know what my disease is. My disease is that I, I have absolutely no mental defense against things that hurt me. And so I need so much help and so much support. And I, you know, that that song used to annoy me when I was little. My grandmother loved it. People who need people are the luckiest people in the world. Well, I've become one of those people. And if I don't run my ideas by another recovered person and maybe more than one a day at various times of the day, I'm sunk. You know, and and I don't I don't see that changing. I'm I'm over a year recovered, and I was working in another program for many years. I don't see that changing. I I see me needing that kind of help because when your enemy lives in your mind, you really need people. <laughs> so I'm really grateful to be aware of that today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Chrissy. And now a word from England, Carol G. Hi, good morning from England. It's Carol G, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Thank you, Sally. Good morning, Vision, for you. I have one memory scribbled on the back of my door, which is now covered with a poster, and it reads, If I eat sugar, I will die. And it's written in my handwriting, so it must be true. But in the moment, I wouldn't be able to go and read that message. This mental twist, this blank spot, this mental obsession is so powerful. And... When I came to Vision for You, I was like seven years sober of chocolate and sugar. And so why on earth was I on my knees afraid for my life? And it was because the mental twist was stalking me. I could feel it. I'd been um, medically ill. I was frightened, so fear sobered me for a while. 
I could feel something, a tsunami, it felt like a tsunami of compulsion rising up inside of me. And the only thing that was keeping it at bay was chewing constantly on chewing gum, chewing, chewing, chewing to just squeeze it down. And it was this weird, eerie feeling, like something was at the back of me all the time. It was like a dark cloak that was kind of around my shoulders, ready to pull me into this abyss. It was a horrible, terrifying feeling. And I'd only been saved by my medical illness from the compulsion, and I'd only been saved by my self-help books and my self-empowerment strategies. And in the end, I realized that if I wanted to live if I wanted to spend the rest of my life on this planet, I was going to have to agree with myself 100% that I was never going to be able to cope with this mental obsession alone. I didn't have the power. The needed power was not there. And getting back on the horse was not an option either. There was no horse. I'd eaten the horse. And and so I'm listening to these paragraphs and I see the squiggly writing and I'm saying, Carol, you really got to take this on board. Your so-called willpower your so-called willpower will not save you. And for me now, God just seems to stand between the gap in my mind and override something that I cannot control. I'm at the, God, I'm at the mercy of this higher power. For me, it was either God or death. And I think I can cease blaming myself. It's not my fault. This thing is very insidious. It's very terrifying. And it will stalk me till the end of time. But my higher power can stand between us and put the power there. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you so much, Carol G. And Tina, you're up. Larry, you'll be up next. Thanks, Sally. Tina S., compulsive eater, anorexic from Florida. Wow, this is some great stuff. Uh, and I'm glad somebody shared that this is italicized because on my phone, which I hate, it doesn't show me that. And, and, and then it reinforces to me uh, that this, this is a very, very, very important paragraph. And, and as it was being read this morning, you know, I went back like 35 years. And so this experience for me must have been pretty powerful in my life. I had just uh, quit nursing school because I'd gained 30 pounds and I lied about why I was quitting. But I, I just thought that I had to quit nursing school so that I could go home and exercise and lose weight. I mean, back then, I mean, insanity for sure. But back then, that was pretty logical for me. And, uh, you know, what I do know today is that, um, you know, I had lost the power of choice a long time ago, and, but I had tried to, you know, exert my will in many, many areas of my life. And so I got this position as a, um, I worked at, in a, a furniture corporation in the accounting department. And, uh, uh, and I can remember sitting at my desk and thinking, okay, you know, it had been a couple of days. I had, you know, and my solution was I just didn't eat. Because I knew once I put something in my body that I wanted more, more, more. I already knew that. But so my solution was that I just didn't eat. And I can remember sitting at my desk and I had this inventory to do. And I, and store was store next door. And I would, you know, my pattern was I'd go next door and I'd buy a dozen of donuts because I was going to share it with the office. Well, that never happened. I'd buy a dozen of donuts. I'd go to my desk and I'd eat one. And then, you know, automatically, I mean, by this time, I hadn't even waited like 15 minutes. It was just, I ate the whole dozen. Then I had to go get more, you know, and and that is just the suffering of that. It must have been because I, when it was read this morning, I went, I could see myself sitting at that desk at 20-some years old and just, you know, miserable. And, um, you know, today, and somebody had already shared this, you know, this is, this chapter, there's a solution. So I know we have to get through the you know, the powerlessness and the unmanageability so that we can get to a power greater than ourselves that can restore us to sanity and could be a power in my life that gives me great direction. So with that, I pass, and thanks for your service again.
Thank you, Tina. Laurie, it's your turn. Kim, Kim, you'll be up next. Good morning, Sally. Good morning. Larry Kay, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. <clears throat> Thanks for your service, Sally. So, you know, I'll focus in on the word defense here. So, we're, yeah, we're, we are without defense against the first, the first drink, the first bite. And, you know, so what is a defense? I mean, a defense is, you know, somehow a resistance against attack. That's what it felt like for me, you know, when, when that desire for, for that heroin, for that food, you know, uh, came upon me. Um, it, it felt like an attack, a full frontal assault attack. And to learn that I am absolutely defenseless, you know, was, was almost, almost too much for me to bear because um, I always thought that I'd have some type of defense. You know, and it's interesting to me that, you, you know, we noticed that, that at the top, uh, the line above it at the top of 24 says, the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. And, you know, although a desire to stop drinking is the only requirement for membership, which essentially means that, that I can come to this meeting every day, I can get on this line, as long as I simply have a desire to stop eating. The problem is, is that's, that will not lead to a permanent solution. And, um, and that was me, and, and that may be you, I don't know, but that was certainly me that, um, you know, the desire alone was never going to be enough to bring about permanent recovery. There was gonna, it was going it, it to take some action, some, some, some definitive action on my part. You know, but, but day after day, month after month, year after horrible year, I came with the desire to stop eating, just a desire. And so I came and I thought I was doing things and I was, I was doing everything. I made, I'll tell you one thing, I made a, a lot of phone calls. I read a lot of big book. My head was full of the big book. Unfortunately, my belly was full of pizza and, and other things, you know, um, most of the time. So the desire, you know, so I love this where we are without defense against the first drink. As long as that obsession is thriving and I can do nothing to remove it of my, uh, uh, you know, I cannot effectuate that change. God's going to do the heavy lifting for me there. This, this higher power that I call God is going to do the heavy lifting. And, and, you know, and then conversely, once that heavy lifting was done by God, I did some simple steps. I don't want to minimize what I did. But once that was done, you know, that obsession was lifted and the fear was gone. And there was neutrality around the food. It was an extraordinary change. But no, you got no chance. No chance. I hate to break it to you. Zero chance of your own accord. We're without defense against the first bite. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry. Kim G., it's your turn. And Vasa. Vasa, oh, you'll be up next. Good yes. morning, Sally. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory and the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago, you know, at certain times. And that's what confused me, you know, because I would remember that one wedding in 1993 where I was able to eat like a lady 
and I would disregard the rest of the 90s when I couldn't control myself. You know, at certain times as I came into OA and my disease progressed, at certain times going to a meeting was sufficient, but most times it was not. At certain times making that phone call was sufficient, but as my disease progressed more and more times it wasn't. So I think of it like Russian roulette. Now you have this gun, there's six chambers in there, there's one bullet in there, and you spin the chambers on the thought, well, I got a five out of six chance and I'm going to be okay. But as my disease progressed, what happened, it became that there was five bullets in the chamber and only one shot of being able to control it. And yet I was willing to pull that trigger over and over and over. Because the progression of the illness became stronger while I was in Overeaters Anonymous as I was trying to will my way through this process. And the big thing for me is I had to recognize I was without defense against the first strength. I didn't believe that. I believed that food and weight was my problem. So if I could have two slices of pizza, the problem was that third slice of pizza. Please, my fellows, my Overeaters Anonymous people, teach me how to be satisfied at two slices of pizza and my problem will be gone. And what I didn't understand was the fact that I am without defense against the first drink, which means the mental obsession will always convince me to pick up that first bite. And because of the allergy, my permanent condition, I'm going to be incapable of staying at that one bite. At certain times, the fellowship can protect me. But at most times, it's not. And that's the definition of powerlessness. I am not powerless because of my allergy. That's a biological function. I'm powerless because my mental obsession will not allow me to keep away from the allergic foods which my body will mandate I have more. With that, I pass. Thanks, Kim. And Vasa, oh, it's your turn. Yes, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Sally, thank you for your service. And I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader calling from Florida. Yeah, we are without defense against the first drink. You know, I like going back and forth to the big book because it's a reminder for me where I was when I came that I never, never, ever want to go back again. I'd be dead today if I, you know, if I did not find this program. You know, the 12 steps and my higher power, which I call God. Uh, again, this is how I felt years ago. I felt I didn't have a choice when it came to the food, that obsession was always there. Or when I'm going to have it, even if I would go on a diet, <coughs> excuse me, and I could not wait I, so I could have that certain thing after I lost, you know, a few pounds or whatever. And uh, I had no power left in me, but I, by the time I came, you know, those days became less and less of those diets, and I just gave in to the food addiction. I just said, you know, I accepted. I said, that's it. I'm just going to die fat and miserable. And I needed to find a power greater than myself, which I call God. I didn't care who was going to help me, whether it was God, the 12 steps, always. I knew, I knew I needed something bigger, bigger than myself for the help, and I'm so grateful that God led me in the 12 steps here reading the, you know, for the, the solution, the allergy, the mental obsession, 
and uh, I didn't want to die, as I said, you know. And today, I maybe I wouldn't have been in the ground, you know, but I, you know, I didn't, you know, I found out this was threefold disease. It's a physical, emotional, spiritual. Fine, I put the food down. It was wonderful, you know. It was not fun at the beginning, you know, but I came to my goal. The body was great, you know, but I needed to work on the emotional and spiritual part, you know, and working to the steps. I, you know, it's by the grace of God, I've been abstinent, and, you know, it's it's amazing, you know, to the person that I was from the person that I am today. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. And who else would like to share on this paragraph? Melissa C. Suji. Reva P. Renata. Reva P. Judy. Judy. Carol M. Anada. Carol M. Okay, wait, let me back it up. Melissa, Suji, Reva P., Judy, Carol, who else? Renata. Renata, I got you. Thank you. Is that it? Okay, let's start with Melissa. Hi, good morning, Sally. It's Melissa C., a recovered. Compulsive overheater in New York. Are you able to hear me okay? Um, you're you're a little uh I can hear you. If you could make it a little bit louder, that would be great. I'm gonna do my best because I just put a Bluetooth in my car and it's not really working, so I'm I'm gonna try as best I can. Um you know, what I think of immediately is how um in my life I could rely on my memory. Um, for a lot of things, you know, I, I'm, I'm somewhat intelligent. You know, I've heard someone else say here before, and I have a pretty good memory. Um, but when it comes to this food problem, when it comes to my addiction, um, it's like I have amnesia or a type of senility. I can't remember with enough force to do anything, you know, to keep me from it. And, um, you know, I was thinking this morning how when I was a freshman in college, um, my parents gave me a credit card for an emergency, and um, and I abused it. You know, I but I'm not a um, I'm not a compulsive overspender. Now, maybe I'm a heavy spender. Maybe I have a moderate spending <laughs> problem. But when that bill came and it was clear I needed it for an emergency, um, this humiliation of my parents saying, what in the world did you do, was enough, you know, and I remembered um, to this day how I had to pay them back every week from my small, you know, part-time job, paycheck, and I didn't have enough money to go on a spring break with friends, so I had to pay back this money, and that was enough. But when it comes to food, those kind of humiliating memories aren't enough to do anything. Um, it's like I can sort of remember, I can retell my story, the awful things I've done with food, but there's very little emotional response with it. I can tell it as if it's someone else's story, um, and the pain is not enough to, you know, do anything. And so, yeah, it tells me that I'm really screwed at my only chance to rely on a power break for myself, and Thank God we're in the chapter this week. You know, there's a solution because we're going to come right up on it. And, and thank you, Melissa. Thank you, Melissa. 
And Sue G., your turn. Good morning. Um, this is Sue G. from Michigan. You know, I used to think that I didn't have a memory, but I do. Not only do I remember how bad I felt, but I also felt how relieved I felt when I took that first bite. Just temporarily, but I was relieved. And um, I have to fight both of those. Um, well, I'm not fighting them right now. I think God's doing the fighting for me, which I, I praise him for. But um, there was a time when I had to fight both sides. Um, can I get away with it this time? It felt so good when I took that first bite. But then it didn't feel so good when I took the second and third and fourth and fifth and so on. Um, I did come to the point where I had no choice. But fortunately, I have a God who does, and he can give me that choice. And I have that choice every day to make as long as I stay in fit spiritual condition. And so that's why I must do my step 10 and 11 every day and reach out and do as much step 12 work as I can. Um, and I fail at step 12 sometimes. I, I think I should call somebody, but then I, um, with my health issues, I just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it tomorrow. And, of course, that's one of my horrible character defects, procrastination. So um, I didn't think this paragraph was going to say much to me, but um, after a couple people have shared, they've shared exactly my feelings. Uh, and I thank you so much. Uh, with that, I pass. Thank you, Suji. And Reva P. And Judy, you'll be up next. Did you say Reva P.? I did. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, this, good morning, Sally. It's Reva P., recovered, grateful, compulsive overeater in Toronto. I love the words that are used in this paragraph. And the first thing that strikes me is that this is a fact. This is not a theory. This is not a maybe. This is the truth. And then the words um, force and defense implies that I'm fighting because that's what I was doing. I was fighting. And it was like getting into an arm wrestle with somebody who's, you know, 10 times stronger than me and constantly thinking that I'm this time I'm going to win. So this paragraph for me represents surrender um, in the powerlessness. And surrender is not resignation and having resentment that, you know, oh, what's wrong with me? And everybody else gets to eat this, but I don't. It's finally realizing the uh, crisis of the situation that I can't. I just, I can't. If I want to get into an arm wrestle with... Um, something that's way more powerful than me, I'm going to lose. And the fact that the title above all these paragraphs is there is a solution means they can create this crisis for me and show me who I really am and what really happens because there's an answer. And never in my wildest dreams did I believe the paradox that when I admit I am totally licked by something, and I cannot fight anymore, then God sweeps in and does for me what I can't do for myself. Um, and the other thing I wanted to share, and I'm learning so much by, learning, by working with somebody new right now, 
that in the moment um, when I make a decision to pick up or it is made for me, um, I'm really um, disregarding my higher power. Um, Once I know uh, what I'm doing and what's happening, it's like I can't put into words yet, so I probably shouldn't share just yet, but I'm realizing by observing um, another that in that moment, um, after the food has already been put down and, you know, if I make that decision to pick up again, I'm really pushing God out and saying, I need this. This is more powerful. This is going to help me this time. Um, and uh, it so doesn't work. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Reva P. And Judy, it's your turn. And Carol, you'll be up next. Judy, you have the first initial of your last name? S, as in Sam. This is Judy Thank S. You, Judy S. Judy S. from us upstate New York, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Yeah, I honed in on the fact is also, <laughs> because the fact is that I am a compulsive overeater. And I, I had that knowledge, I knew that, as soon as I got into the rooms and listened to people and read about that it's a disease. But what I didn't realize, or I didn't, what I didn't do with that, I had the knowledge, it was like, you know, okay, I know I'm a compulsive overeater, but I had not accepted that I was a compulsive overeater. <clears throat> and when I finally did accept that, I had to go, I had to ask myself, ask God, guide me, what what do I need to do now? Because if this is my my only choice that, you know, I've accepted this in my heart, I I have no other choice but to know that I am powerless and I, I accept that I'm a compulsive overeater because it's a fact. What do I have to do with this every day? <clears throat> and there are many things I have to do and there are many things that I don't want to do, but I have to take action and do them anyway because otherwise, excuse me, I'm going to be back into the food. And um, I love what was shared about surrender. Yeah, this is surrender. Um, And that acceptance helped me to stop fighting. Um, My my personal definition that I, that, well, it's probably not my own. Other people have it too, but it's, you know, um, surrender is, to stop fighting and cooperate, stop fighting and cooperate with God and um, become a co-creator, you know. Um, I can't do it alone. I need other people's help. I need God's help. But then I have to take all these actions, and that's it. It's a, it's a program of action and because I can't remember. This is a disease of forgetting. I can't remember what happened yesterday or even the day before, and I am without defense against the first drink. You know, I'm into affirmations, and I am without defense against the first bite. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy S. And Carol, your turn, and Renata, you'll be up next. Good morning. This is Carol M. from Indiana, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Sally, thank you for your service, and I'm very thankful for everyone on the line this morning. As I read this um, text that says, I have lost the power of choice and drink, it reminds me of the years that I spent going to doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists and saying to them, 
you know, I want to stop eating. I don't want to do this, but it's as if at night this voice in, on the other side of my head would say, eat and eat now. And that power always won out. And, you know, I did this for years and was destroying my body and relationships and uh, my bank account. And so three years ago, I started listening to A Vision for You, and I was ready. I was ready to work these steps, but I really wasn't ready to give up my, my will and my power, my willpower. And so um, God would have me continue um, that progressive disease for three more years, and um, and it progressed very rapidly. And finally, when I was at the end of the road and wanting to take my life, I was then truly open to completely surrendering to God and to um, to doing everything that all of you on the line were teaching me to do. So I just want to say to you, if you're a newcomer or if you're coming back from a relapse, that um, you can enjoy this life that just holds so much peace and joy. Um, but you have to be at the end of your road and you have to be willing to completely surrender to God or to your higher power so that you can be open and willing to work these steps. So I'm just so grateful for this uh, meeting, and I'm so grateful to all of you who continue to show up every day and to teach me um, and to share with me your experience, strength, and hope. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Carol M. and Renata. Renata, it's your turn. Thank you, Sally, for your service. Good morning, family. This is Renata G., Recovered Compulsive in New York. Um Sorry, I'm lost here. Uh, our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into the consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. And, um, you know, for me, like what came up this morning was, you know, there were times that I mustered all my willpower and started a new diet. You know, or I came to this program and I got abstinent and I would be on that pink cloud and, you know, it would work for a while. I would be able to refuse my trigger foods, you know, to say, oh, no, thank you. I'm not eating that anymore. And uh, but that would not like I wouldn't. My problem was that I could never really stay stopped. You know, I would stay stopped for a week, maybe for a month you know, before my my disease really progressed and then I couldn't stay stopped, not even for a full day. But, um, you know, every time that mental obsession, this is the description of the mental obsession, right? This paragraph, when that mental obsession really hit, that's it. I had no defense against it. I was doomed to picking up the very same foods that were killing me the foods that once I started eating them, I had no control. You know, I could not predict how much I would have. And, you know, they would create all the the bad consequences, right? The self-hatred, the weight gain, the, you know, depression, the the feeling of I'm a loser, I'm a failure, I want to kill myself. And so time and time again, my mind would convince me to go back to those foods. And, uh, you know, in Fred's story, they talk about how if you are a real alcoholic, you know, like I am a real compulsive reader, 
the time and place will come when I'll pick up that first bite again. So it doesn't matter how long I've been absent for or what food plan I'm on or how many calls a day I make or, you know, whatever it is. If I go to a psychologist, for me, like none of those things worked. What really, you know, it says in the paragraph that I'm unable to raise a defense and what enables me to raise a defense against that mental obsession today is, you know, working the steps, you know, uh, doing the work, going through the steps absently enabled me to have access to the power that I didn't have before. And so today I'm not at the mercy of my willpower that maybe will get me through, you know, a week and then Time. I'm doomed to pick up again. And uh, with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Renata. We have time for about four shares. Who would like to share on this paragraph? Anita J. Leah M. Thank you, Leah. Anita J. Leah. Anyone else? Marie B. I'm sorry, Marie? Yes, V is in Victor. Marie V. Got it. Stacy T. Okay, Stacy T. Let's go with those. Anita J, it's your turn, and Leah, you'll be up next. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sally. And thanks everybody for your shares. I wrote down one of the one of the comments already. Uh somehow all of you saying and embellishing on the, these paragraphs really changed my life. It was two years ago this week that I started listening at the suggestion of somebody and I saw these words that I've been reading since 1978 with new eyes. And I, what I realized, what I really saw was that I started looking for the truth. I stopped defending myself. You see, I knew some of that paragraph. It's as if my book had white out on half the sentences. I would hone in on, yes, at certain times, I didn't need I didn't need my higher power to stay away from food. That's all that's all I'd read. Like white out. No mental defense that wasn't there. Over and over I was my own enemy here when the truth was sitting here looking in these pages that I read. I opened the book. I say you got to open the book. Yes, but you've got to take out You've got to take out all your early beliefs. So busy defending what I knew when, for heaven's sake, power of choice. I can decide. I couldn't even decide what to wear. It all depended on what fit. I didn't have any more choice. Uh, Choice has become since I surrendered that, yes, I am one of these people. Thank you, God, I am. And thank you, God, that I see it. And I'm not defending my past behavior anymore. I'm learning, and I'm learning from everybody else. If ever I needed people who have been through this process, it's now. And I'm very grateful. Without a pass. Thank you so much, Anita J. And Leah M., it's your turn. Marie V., you'll be up next. Thank you very much, Sally. We are without defense against the first drink. 
for me the first bite. You know, it took me, I sat in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous from 1982 to 1987, and, you know, as my disease continued to progress, and it became clear without even someone cracking open this text and bringing it to life for me yet, um, that that's what was happening, that, (laughs) you know, I was without defense against the first, against the very, very first bite um, that was really getting pummeled into me. And my experience was that without admitting this powerlessness, I kept thinking I had the power, that I could test my personal control. And I don't need a power greater than myself because I have me as a power greater than myself. But there came a time, it was actually January 19, 1987, when I was so beaten up by this disease that I crawled uh, with tombstones into my, in my eyes into a, uh, a, a rehab facility because I could not take the pain and suffering anymore of what was happening here. I was without defense against that first bite. And... You know, I kept trying different methods, and the big book, when it was brought to life to me, according to the big book, it made it very clear, and my experience reinforced it. It wasn't going to be my inner strength any, or my willpower or determination or any other human beings. None of those was going to be enough to conquer the obsession of the mind. I could not restore my sanity on my, on my own. I needed the help of a higher power. I needed a power greater than myself. Because until I humbled myself by taking step one, I did not need the rest of the program. I didn't see the necessity nor the urgency for it. You know, I just did not see the necessity for it to follow through by first separating from all my binge foods and then by going through the 12 steps in proper sequence while abstinent. But when that pain got great enough, pain was the greatest motivator to effectuate change in someone like me because something came between me and compulsive overeating 29 years ago and has been there ever since. And that's called the recovery process. And if the problem that you have is powerlessness over food and you're tired of living an unmanageable life, we have a recovery process. If you're new or even not so new, I tell you it's my experience that there's hope here. When you're through with compulsive overeating, when you are convinced there is a way out, there's a way to live without having to compulsively overeat. But you've got to not eat to experience that way of life. And the secret is these 12 steps and its implementation, again, in proper sequence. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Leah M. Marie Z. And we've got five minutes left. If, uh, Marie V. If, and if you and Stacy can just take two and a half minutes, that will put us right at the end of the meeting. Marie V. This is Marie V, a recovering compulsive eater just for today. Um, We talk about power of choice. I'm a real compulsive eater, to be honest with you. I don't know if I ever had the power of choice when it comes to food. I have it today because of the program, because of the 12 steps, because there is a God in my life that provides me with a defense. But before that, I don't know that I had it. I reached the weight of 250 pounds. 
I reached the point where it affected me physically, medically. I wound up having a stroke. I came to in the hospital not knowing what the hell had gone on with me. <clears throat> Excuse me. I came out of there. I had five doctors working on me, all of them telling me I had to lose weight because I had a massive stroke hanging on me. It scared me, but not enough. And I couldn't remember all the pain I went through because I'm one of those. I have to eat. I have to. I came to OA in 1967, and in 2003, I finally gave up. Believe me, I was pretty badly mangled from the effects of overeating. I have not had flour or sugar since 2003. I normally, once in a while, I get out a little bit on the fringes, but I have maintained about 115-pound weight loss for 11 and a half years. That is a divine miracle. And that's because I gave up, and believe it or not, today I know what a power of choice is. I don't have to do it. I can call on a power greater than myself, I can call to my support group. I can go to meetings. I can pick up the phone. I can practice the 12 steps. There's a lot more that I can do today to help myself with the help of my higher power. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Marie V. And Stacy T. will take us to the end of our meeting. Great. Thanks. Good morning, Sally. This is Stacy T., recovering compulsive overeater in Cleveland. <clears throat> I'll keep it brief. Um, the italics is certainly, it's all powerful for me. And one of the things that has worked for me, uh, and I found that the, that in order to stop fighting, there were certain things that I needed to do, particularly in the evening. Um, when uh, my body was quieting down, my mind was quieting down, I put sticky notes on my, uh, that are still here, on my uh, nightstand lamp, on my doorway exiting into the living room so that I had reminders um, when I could not bring in sufficient force um, that this was a decision and it wasn't negotiable. And that's what's written for me. And last week I had a mental obsession that just really put my hand around my back and I was so powerless and I'm so grateful to be in Cleveland um, and the only thing I knew to do was to drive down to Dr. Bob's house in Akron and I got on my knees in Sue's room and I read aloud several times the third step and I talked with a person there that day and was able to get infused with the power of the program, the power of hope, the power of recovery. And for today, I live in the solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Stacy T., and thank you to everyone who has shared. I would like to invite you to please join us for the second unrecorded hour of study immediately following our closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. 
I will ask Deb W. to please read a vision for you, beginning with, our book is meant to be suggestive only. This is Deb W. Recovered in Oklahoma. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.